But today I'm going to go to the exact same scripture we spoke on last week. If you could please open your Bibles, if you have them, to John 18. John 18, we're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Last week we took this passage of scripture and uh, spoke about who Jesus is. He asks a very interesting question in the middle of this passage, which says, Whom do you seek? And so we challenged ourselves to say, Who are we seeking? And I broke it down into three ways of, that are misinterpreted, but also who He is. Jesus is King. Jesus is our Deliverer. And Jesus is the Good Shepherd. And so we had a, a wonderful little look at what does that look like in our lives? How do we challenge ourselves to appropriately come before the King? Not just to expect things, but to see who He is in His divinity. Because he says in this, this text repeatedly, I am he, reminding us back to the Old Testament of the Yahweh that saves and speaks and delivers his people. Now coming to the time of crucifixion, he's bringing it back to say, whom do you seek? The guards say, Jesus of Nazareth, and his response is, I am he. Again, a reminder of his divinity, of his bigness, of his all-encompassing self-existence. You're going to come and capture the one that spoke the world into existence, and the response is they fall down. And so it was a beautiful little look at those things. And today I'm going to try, Lord willing, to um, just talk about what, what the second question is. And let's, let's look at the text really quick and see what this says, and then we'll get into it. But when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Remember, this is approximately 300 yards um, outside the city of, of Jerusalem at the time. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus, often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. I'm going to make a bold statement, but I think that when you don't fully understand your place in the kingdom the spirituality the Lord has given to you, you make up for it with weapons. Because true disciples of Jesus don't need warfare and weapons. They have the sword of the Spirit. Right? And so it's a bold statement, but I think there's a misunderstanding we're going to see here in a minute that the disciples have as well. Fully not realizing who Jesus is and what he's come to do. So they come, the guard comes with torches and weapons and lamps, all the rest. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of these whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off, the, cut off his ear. I still stand by my statement before. I think when you don't truly understand or know the ramifications of the spirit that you have, I think you will go towards... Uh, using your own strength to exert yourself to make something accomplished, to accomplish what you want. Um, if we look back over, I'll prove that in a second. I think it's awesome. Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cut off his ear. The servant's name was Malchus. 
So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Our second question of the text. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have given us your word as authority to life and foundation for how we're to live. And I thank you that you give us revelation and understanding. And so I just pray today, Father God, that you would prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, and that you would also use me, Lord, as your conduit to speak truth, to be faithful to the text, and most importantly, to be faithful to you and to who you are. May we learn more of you, Lord, and be matured in you as a result to bring this out into the world to where we live, that we would make an impact for the gospel of Jesus Christ in every facet of life. In your holy name we pray, Jesus. Amen. I was in a restaurant a couple years ago um, with some teachers. So I've been, I also teach at a high school, a local high school here. Um, and I was with some teachers after parent-teacher conference. And it's a, it was a little restaurant, kind of dingy place. It was one of the only things that was open. And so we're there kind of relaxing afterwards. It's like, it, it's busy. If you've done parent-teacher conferences, teachers, thank you. But uh, it's busy, it's hard, you're going through the, the scripts and, and all that takes place and remembering all that takes place. And it's a wonderful time to gather and meet families, but also pretty draining. So we're kind of just left with not much at the end. Um, so we're just kind of recalling the night, recalling the year. And all of a sudden, more and more people start coming in. And they're all dressed in blues gear. It's like, there's no blues game on. The season has just ended. Um, and more and more people, it's a two-room restaurant, very small. And it keeps filling, it keeps filling, it keeps filling the room. It's like, what is going on here? This is the wildest thing. At this point, it was like 10.30 at night. And so it didn't really make sense. Um, and then music starts happening, starts to get loud. I was like, what in the world? And now it's, at this point, it's starting to be like shoulder to shoulder. We're at a little table, but we can't get our check to leave. It's just too busy. Um, and then moments later, in walks the cup. Lord Stanley's cup himself, it walks in by itself. Didn't even need it. It just walked. It's a joke, friends. Come on. Uh, so they were carrying the cup, and they come, they set it up, and everyone's gathered around it, and the Gloria, of course, is playing repeatedly, 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 and everyone's celebrating, and it's amazing. And I was like, this is amazing. And, of course, it's the selfie. You can't get close enough to actually get to the cup. I tried. People were there. So many people around it that you couldn't, I just wanted to touch it. Just, you know, see my reflection in it for once in my life. You know, that didn't happen, friends. But either way, it was an amazing experience because it brought with it its own glory, per se. Right? People beheld the cup. The thing that you all strive for and that we as a city attained. And that's amazing. I'm going to speak to you guys today about a cup. But it's a different kind of cup cup that comes with it, the designation uh, from the Lord to his son of something he's to accomplish. I didn't know a cup could hold such authority in a room until I saw the Stanley Cup come into this restaurant, and it really transformed everything. Um, but as I read this text, I can't really understand how a cup could really hold such authority over people's life until I see what Jesus did for us. And so go with me on this journey. We're going to talk about a cup today and what I'm calling misguided misconceptions. Misguided. Mis so I, as we're looking at this, we see Jesus' response. 
We see who he is. He's saying, I am he. We talked about that all last week. He's the king. He's the good shepherd. He's the deliverer. But I'm so intrigued by the, resp the response of the disciples. So go with me a little bit. I'm not going to reread the whole text because it's a lot. But what happens before this, obviously, is Jesus in the garden praying with his disciples. So he invites those close to him, the three. And he brings them, Peter, James, and John. And they're, they're praying, and he's constantly going back to them after agonizing and praying and finding them. And they are doing what? Sleeping, right? So he goes to pray again, and he's before the Father, and he's agonizing, saying, he's saying, Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. That's his prayer. So you remember Jesus is 100% divine, 100% human. It's an amazing thing we see in our Savior. And so knowing the divinity, knowing what has to happen, we also see his emotion coming out. All that's to take place. He goes again and prays. He comes back to find his disciples sleeping. He goes, guys, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Stay with me. Pray with me. Go, go before me. Go with me here. Be, be what I need you to be. Goes off again to pray, and of course finds them sleeping. And then it comes to this part of the text. So in John is the answer that we have in a lot of the other synoptic gospels. It says, if, this, if, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. In the other gospels, we just see him being captured in essence. And in John in particular, it says, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink from the cup my father has given me? So it's going to happen. And he knows it. So he has, to some degree, now this divine calm. He knows what's to take place, and he sets his face like flint towards it. And that's what we can also see in this text all over it. Jesus is control over the entire situation. He allows the guards to come. He allows the guards to take him. He dismisses his disciples. It's all in his authority because he's the king. But it's an amazing part of Scripture where he, in essence, answers the question for the readers by saying, put your, your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink from this cup the Father has given me? This is a spiritual battle. Your physical swords will do nothing to stop it. This is something that I have to do, predetermined from the beginning of time, that my Father and I know he has given to me. I am the only one that can accomplish your means of strength and your efforts to stop it will do nothing. You see what's taking place. And so Peter, of course, and we know this through Scripture, he's, he's the feisty one, right? I love Peter, and I definitely affiliate. I see myself in how he leads in the things he does. And he goes immediately, taking a sword from his sheath, and goes towards those, the guard specifically, the servant of the high priest, who is the guard in control of arresting Jesus. Malchus is his name we see in Scripture here. And cutting off his ear. Church, do you think he was going to cut his ear off? No, he was trying to kill him. There was no doubt. He missed. And so we don't know what takes place here. The reality is... Peter, through his perception of what's taking place, is doing the best he can to defend and save the one he is committed to. I have no fault in Peter. But I definitely see through what I know of Jesus Christ, through what we see of Scripture, through what we know now, looking back on it, there's misguided expectations that the disciples often have. We're reminded in... Um, we are reminded in Luke... I'm going to read this for you really quick. Um, and this is about Jesus saying that, that things must be fulfilled. He, and he said to them, When I sent out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? 
They said nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. Let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled in me, and he, 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 had, and he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And they said, look, Lord, here are two swords. And he said to them, it is enough. Now, the difficulty is, and what I said before, I think that oftentimes we misunderstand the immensity of the gospel by putting our own efforts in place of what Jesus can accomplish, if you'll hear this. And so in this point right now, Jesus is about, uh, he's talking about the scriptures being fulfilled, and he's just foretold Peter's denial, and then is about to go pray on the Mount of Olives in, in the account of Luke before Jesus is betrayed. And he's in essence saying, things are about to change. Things are about to happen. For a long time, we didn't come with money bags. We didn't come with these things. But as we, as we go forth now, the way that you're supposed to function and act, he says specifically, but now let the one who has a money bag take it up and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you that the scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors. For what is written about me has its fulfillment. And then the disciples interpret what he's saying as, we have two swords, so we're going to be okay. But he's not talking physically about taking up swords as much as what does life look like through the sword of the Spirit specifically, but also lived out in Jesus Christ as not money and things being able to attain, but the way that he is going to, the cross and suffering will take place, and in essence, hardship and not war, but things will break out. And so as he's coming to this point now, the disciples are misunderstanding what he's talking about. And he said, it is enough. Not it's enough in the sense of two swords is the right amount. It is enough because you're misunderstanding the way I'm speaking of what we're to accomplish. Do you guys follow what I'm saying? So in the spirit of the Lord and the things he's doing, the swords aren't the things that Jesus is saying take up. He's saying get ready for things that are going to happen because it's my time to go to the cross. All that I've laid in you, all that I've mentored, all that I've brought you to, it's now your time to see the kingdom come and the will be done. And then it will be, in essence, pushed to you guys. And so in this sense, Jesus is saying, it's enough talk. It's enough. You're not, it's not necessary to take up swords for battle. What I'm asking for you guys to do is recognize the time is coming. He goes to pray, and then, of course, his arrest happens in the Gospel of Luke. In the, in the account of Luke specifically, is the only account where Jesus actually heals the servant's ear. So there's this, tr this contrast between what Jesus is there to do. Am I, he says, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And at the same time, Peter, in his response, trying to accomplish and defend, goes for the life of the one taking, trying to capture Jesus. And so we see Jesus' compassion towards healing, and restoring because it's about life, and that's why he's here. It's not about death and evading the hardship. So if you can follow with me, the thing that I'm very intrigued about in this passage is that we cannot properly stand for what we do not accurately see. We can't properly stand for things that we don't accurately see. I challenged us last week to say, who is Jesus? Who do you seek? If he's king, how are you approaching him? If he's the good shepherd, are you being led by him? Are you allowing him to put you back in line and in order? And if he's the deliverer, are you trying to save yourself? Or are you reliant upon what he's already accomplished for you to know life? 
And so now as we come to the text today and the question that's asked, put your sword into its sheath, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? As we understand what Jesus lays out to do here, do we have the proper understanding and see him correctly for what he's about to do, or are we trying to still put our own efforts into the gospel to accomplish something? And that's where I see Peter in a great way, and I would probably have done the same thing. Don't take Jesus and step up to defend. But he's not fully recognizing, he's not fully seeing spiritually what's taking place. And so he's trying to physically accomplish something that, is not, that he, can't, he can't spiritually touch. Only Christ can. And so as we move forward here, I would like to give you three things that I learned from the cup specifically, and then what does that look like for our life. So how do we appropriately respond? All right? So first, the first thing I would like to say about the cup is that it's from the Father. He says, put your sword into it. She shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me. Remember when Jesus was about to be captured, he said, it, the text says, knowing all that would happen to him, he said, whom do you seek? So he knew all that was about to take place. He knows the plan set out for him, and he knows what was going to happen. And even knowing those things, like the good shepherd, we talked about this last week, he gave himself to save everyone else. So this plan set forth was from the Father. There's a story of, um, in Madrid of a father who um, was separated from his son. There was a fight or something took place, um, and what happened was they were estranged from each other, and they had not met for a long time, and this was breaking the father's heart. His, name, his son's name was Paco. So after trying to figure it out and coming to the end of his life, he needed to see his son again. And so he did all that he thought he could do by writing in the newspaper, Paco, come back. I will meet you at the, lo the location of the newspaper where it's printed in the city, in the, in the city of Madrid. Come there at this specific time, and I will be there. You are forgiven. I love you, your father. That was what was published in the paper. And so then on the day mentioned, I believe it was a Saturday, they arrived there in front of this newspaper, and 800 Pacos showed up. 800 men with the same name, looking for restoration to their father. You are forgiven. I love you. 800 people responded. I use this example to say we know our Father because of the sacrifice of the Son. We understand who our Father is, our Heavenly Father, and we are restored into a right relationship with Him because of what Jesus Christ has done. But the Father was the one who has initiated and put this plan in place and is the one who gave it to the Son to drink. It's so difficult to conceptualize. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ was at the command of the Father. But so wonderful to gaze upon is that we reap the benefits of what takes place upon the Son being obedient to the will of the Father and taking the, the wrath of God and the sin upon Himself. The cup came from the Father, and the Son, in sheer obedience, was willing to not only take the cup, but to drink of it. And so there's the story. As it continues, it goes through the trials where he truly is innocent but found guilty. Through the floggings, through the beatings, through the fatigue, all the way to the cross, all because he was willing to obey and submit to the will of the Father. He knew that shall I not drink from the cup that the Father has given me. 
He mentioned in his prayers three times for it to be removed. But this was the plan from the beginning of time. It reminds me often also of Paul in Corinthians where he prays, three times I asked for this thorn to be removed from me. And Jesus said, and and his response is, my grace is made perfect and my grace is sufficient. Uh, You're made stronger. You are stronger in your weakness. It's an amazing reality. God allowed hardships to happen to Jesus specifically for human flourishing. As he brings us through hardships now on the other side of the cross, what does our life look like as we now can grow and flourish in Christ, knowing that he's with us and that he empowers us? Number one, the cup is from the Father. Number two, the cup determined destiny. So this is interesting because we don't have this in our day, really. It happened oftentimes in ancient times during the intertestamental period and in antiquity and all those things, antiquity. But the difficulty is we don't have this understanding of drinking from a cup of poison. You can read about it in Shakespeare. You can see it in plays. You can see it in Princess Bride. Huh? It's probably one of the easiest ways to see this cup of poison. Um, a funny modern context. But the reality is the cup determined destiny. It was a metaphor that shows the outcome of a situation or behavior. So the cup is the thing, in essence, that was the proclamation of what was to come. And so uh, rulers or successors would take the cup, and they'd poison it, and obviously, and then make those that they've conquered or those that are enemies drink from it, and it would, it would end their, their life, their reign, whatever it may be. In Scripture, this reference to cup is mentioned repeatedly. A lot of times in the Old Testament, specifically in the prophets, the major prophets often, towards the wrath or the devastation that is to come to cities that are disobedient to the law or the rule of God. And oftentimes we see it in the Psalms as a means of blessing. So there's actually four ways it's used through Scripture. One is in blessing. One is in salvation, cup of salvation. The cup of disaster, Jeremiah mentions this that's going to come to the cities that have turned their backs on the Lord, and then a cup of wrath, which is mentioned in Isaiah, which is a punishment towards the nations that have defied the laws and the commands of God. But what determines destiny and where you're going in life? My question for you guys is, what cup are you drinking from? What cup do you drink from? In myself, my immediate response would probably be, um, I, I, I deserve the cup of wrath, right? There's nothing in me that should be past something that is life-giving and honoring because of the way that I've lived in myself. I have not attained anything through my work and my merit. The reality is what is passed our way through Christ is the cup of blessing. You now don't have to drink the wrath of God. You don't have to experience the outpouring Uh, that was poured out on Christ on the cross. But what you receive is his blessing, is life, is adoption, is hope, is joy, his spirit. What cup do we drink from? I think it's so important to recognize that when Jesus asked this question, put your sword into its sheath. It's not a physical battle. It's a spiritual one. Shall I not drink from the cup my father has given me? As he drank from the cup, he thought of you. As he, as he went through the punishment, as he went through the hardship of what he experienced on the cross, you were, his, you were on his mind. It was the glory of the things to come. 
the right relationship restored from God to a broken world made right again. Now there can be peace in the earth. Now there can be joy and there can be gladness instead of sadness. All the IOUs from ancient time past that animals did as sacrifices is being paid on the cross of Jesus Christ. He took that for us that not only would we have a right relationship with God and know peace again, but that the entirety of creation would be able to be restored in proper relationship as we steward it well, as we love in community, as we know a true perspective of ourselves, and as we relate to other people. It's an amazing thing. It determined destiny. And I just want to remind you, church family, that because of what Jesus did as our good shepherd, the destiny determined for you as you believe in Jesus Christ is now blessing, not cursing. It's not destruction and wrath, but life and joy and salvation. So drink it down and enjoy the fact that we know because of what Jesus Christ has done, life and life more abundantly. So we know that the cup was from the Father and it determined destiny. And the last thing we see is the cup is reserved for Jesus, but deserved by man. The cup was reserved for Jesus, but it was deserved by man. Jesus drank the cup on our behalf, representing death and symbolizing God's wrath. Jesus suffered physically through the crucifixion with agony because of God's wrath. Romans 3.25 says, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. Everything now was coming to a culmination in all of history. This is my title for the series called The Garden, the Garden Stories. Because what took place in the garden at the beginning of creation, in the fall and in sin and deception, was the announcement first and foremost that there will be a seed from a woman. It began in the garden, and now we see it ending in the garden. The betrayal, and then obviously uh, John tells us that, like I mentioned last week, the resurrection, his tomb was in a garden. And so it's an amazing reality of the beautiful, intricate, intricately woven storyline of Christ that from the beginning of time to his death and crucifixion and resurrection to when he will come again, he's in full control of all of it. And he allows us to know life and life abundantly. God has shown his righteousness through his son's sacrifice. Growing up, one of the hardest forms of discipline for me was when my parents um, were, were silent. And this wasn't like, like it totally ignoring me, but you know, you expect that if I'm, if I'm too honest bef before them, um, or cocky, or arrogant, or whatever it may be, or if I've done something deserving of punishment, just give me the punishment, let's get it over with. But when they just sit in silence and let you think for a second, and you can you feel the disappointment, <laughs> um, and you experience the... The, the, it feels like a gap between I have done something wrong and there's my father allowing me to see it rather than allowing me to just talk my way through it. It hurt, it hurt, to the, it hurt in a good way to the point of me recognizing what was taking place. Right? I just want to remind us that as Jesus Christ suffered physically, the agony and wrath that he also experienced was that silence. It was that separation. 
God turned his back on his only son, Jesus Christ, because he became sin. So as Jesus gave his last breath, in full control still, he did so in honoring the cup that he was to drink from the Father. And knowing this eternal plan set forth for the restoration and redemption of all things, that as we believe in him, we're not the ones suffering that silence. We're the ones enjoying the blessing of life in Jesus. What is our response today? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Even, even when times are difficult and when we feel a hardship of things that may come from the Father, He doesn't just leave us in those difficult times, He sees us through them, right? So I believe we're to give thanks in all circumstances, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Instead of going to the garden or going into the presence of God and falling asleep, my encouragement and my challenge to you, church family, is this. Fall on your knees before the Lord, crying out to Him in whatever may take place, in, in full alertness, and then making the transition from your knees to walking out whatever you're praying about in life fluid. So that as you see your life in Jesus Christ, you're recognizing we're living in the blessing that comes from the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We're not living in the curse. And what we've been given is something that's eternal and something that we couldn't purchase by our own strength or our own blood. It's a free gift. So what is our response? Stay alert. Pray. Receive forgiveness, the cup of blessing. Do not give into temptation as the disciples did. Rather, guard yourself and guard your mind that we would move from our, our times of devotion to the Lord to walking life out with Him fluidly. If we fall asleep on the job, we will not be ready when temptations or when trials come. The cup was reserved for Jesus, but was deserved by man. Right, you can give us the last slide. Jesus drank the cup of wrath so we may know the cup of blessing. Jesus is our king, he is our deliverer, and he is our good shepherd. We serve an amazing father who knows all things. And I just want to pause now. We're going to end with the communion or the Lord's Supper. And if there are things in your life or you think that you, um, you don't fully understand the, the ramifications of the blessing the Lord has given you by taking the wrath, let's just pause now. And what I'd really love for you to do is to consider what did Jesus Christ do on your behalf? Because everything that he's done fully accomplished all that it needed to in, in taking away your sin and in giving to you righteousness. So if you're trying to do something like a Peter in your own strength, if you're trying to fight a, a spiritual battle physically, you will only be worn out. Know that life in Christ is given to you as a gift. And he has supplied to you everything you need pertaining to righteousness. So I'm going to take a moment now before we come to the table and just reflect upon the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, but then also the, the beautiful reality that he's done everything himself and that all we need to do now is just believe. Let's just pause before our king.
Jesus Christ, I thank you that your work applied to our lives has accomplished all that you set out to do. And I thank you, Jesus Christ, that you have allowed us to live a life now not in wrath, not in judgment, not in cursing, but in blessing and in life and in peace. And so, Father, I pray for New Covenant Church, and I pray for uh, the churches that we have the ability to work with around the world in, in Zambia and in Pakistan, in Guatemala, in India. Father, thank you for the relationship that we have with these brothers and sisters. And as we communally come to your table today as a church, we ask that you would recall to our remembrance, Lord Jesus, how magnificent and truly grateful, uh, grateful we are, but how magnificent your work applied to us is. Thank you that you have accomplished for us, Lord Jesus, this spiritual battle that we know life in you. So I pray for the church that you refresh them today, that they would know hope in you, that they would know joy in you, and that amidst any circumstance that they may be going through, Lord, they would know life propelled forward because of your grace. Bless them, Father, in your name. Amen.